Hi friends, future Jillian here. I just wanted to pop in really quick and give you guys kind of a warning, but not really. Um, just a friendly reminder that you were listening to our earlier episodes. So at this point, we were still kind of figuring out our groove and figuring out what we were doing. And so please don't judge us on these ones. At least give some of the newer ones a listen. We really got into it around episode four or five, but we got our new microphones in episode nine. So you will notice quite a bit of a sound quality difference if you're listening backwards from our newest episodes to our first episodes. So just wanted to give you guys a heads up and thanks for listening. Welcome back to another episode of Murder and Misery. My name is Heather and I'm Jillian. We are your hosts and today we are starting a new case. It will only be one episode so you will get to know the ending, at least the ending so far. I don't know I don't know any information yet. I, I was keeping it a secret from her. But I think they'll all be a secret for me. So when I give you these intros, it'll always be just a little bit awkward because I don't know what I'm talking about. But welcome and thank you for clicking on this podcast. This week we're doing something a little bit different. And instead of giving you a like 45 minute podcast, we're going to keep it pretty short just because today is Thanksgiving and we're with our families and hopefully you are with yours. So if you're a little bit shocked to see that this one's quite a bit shorter, that is the reason why. So today's episode is actually our first, um, what is it, what is it called? Like submitted. Like this is the first request. Requested. There we go. Today is our first requested case and it was requested by my aunt. So thanks aunt Tina. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This story begins at a military training facility in Missouri in 1991. Jennifer Jackson, who went to school with my mom and my Aunt Tina, which is why she requested this. Nice. Um, and Brian Stewart just met, both training to be medics, and they hit it off instantly. They moved in together and five short months later discovered they were expecting a child. Brian Jackson, who was originally named Brian Stewart III, but changed his name to his mother's maiden name, so I'm going to refer to him as Jackson and his dad as Stewart, so there's not two Brians, and so it doesn't get confusing. Okay. Originally, when Jackson was born, his father was super excited, but unfortunately, after he came back from deployment in Saudi Arabia for Operation Desert Storm, everything changed. Stewart began demanding DNA testing and denying that Jackson was his son. He even became abusive towards Jackson's mom, both physically and verbally. Shortly after this started, Jackson's mom left Stuart. Then the child support payments came into play. This is where things got really bad. Stuart refused to pay child support and started making horrible threats. Jackson said that he said things to his mother like, When I leave you, I'm not going to leave any ties behind, and your child is not going to live beyond the age of five. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. And then, at the age of only 11 months old, Jackson was hospitalized for an asthma attack. By this point, his mother didn't have much contact with Stuart, but she called him anyways to let him know that Jackson was sick and in the hospital. She called his place of work to let him know and was met with his co-worker saying that Stuart didn't have any kids. So, he's total dad of the year. Okay. Yeah. Well, shortly before Jackson was discharged from the hospital, his father showed up, which was odd to everyone, especially the after the co-worker situation. Right. Uh, during the visit, he sent Jackson's mom to the cafeteria to grab a drink, and when his mother returned from the cafeteria, she found her son screaming while his father was holding him. Was he screaming because his dad was doing something bad, or just because he didn't know his dad? Because, like, stranger danger is a thing 
with a lot of kids. Right. We'll find that out in a minute. Oh my gosh. I don't want to ruin anything. Okay, well you just paused for a second so I needed to know. No, I had to flip the page. Well, he did do something because when they came back, he was screaming and doctors didn't know what was wrong with him. He had a fever and his breathing and his pulse were all whacked up. So, um, eventually they were able to get his pulse, his temperature, and his breathing back to normal, and they discharged Jackson from the hospital, uh, where they thought he, you know, was going to live a happy, normal life. Uh, unfortunately, he started deteriorating pretty quickly. His mother took him to multiple doctors, hoping to find out what was causing her son to be on his literal deathbed. This went on for four years, and they got no answers. Jackson said that he remembered waking up in the middle of the night, begging his mother not to let him die. He had been tested for almost every disease imaginable until one night after his doctor had a nightmare, he asked the hospital to run a test for HIV. The test came back that Jackson had full-blown AIDS and three opportunistic infections, and he sent him home with five months to live. Now, how could this happen? Well, during his visit at the hospital when Jackson's mom went to the cafeteria, his father injected him with HIV-infected blood, hoping it would kill him so he did not have to pay child support. What? Yeah. I'm shocked. Right. And you may be wondering, where did his father get this? Yes, I am wondering. Well, Stuart, who was working in a lab as a blood tester, had started secretly taking home samples of infected blood home with him. The blood that he used wasn't even the same blood type as Jackson's. And allegedly at work, he had made jokes saying things like, if I wanted to infect someone with one of these viruses, they'd never know what hit him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, after his diagnosis, Jackson was treated with multiple drugs, which were used for adults, not children. And this left him hearing impaired, because I'm pretty sure he was, like, one of the first child cases of AIDS. Um, so they were giving him, like, every drug they, they could think of, but they didn't have it child-tested. It was all, like, sure made for adults. Yeah, that makes sense. So this left him hearing impaired. Jackson said his entire childhood was lived one day at a time. He said one day he would be fine, and then an hour later he would have to be rushed to the hospital. Miraculously, over time, Jackson's health did start to improve, and eventually he was able to start school, where he quickly learned the stigma around around the disease he had. Jackson said, back in the 90s, people thought that you get AIDS from a toilet seat. I once read in a college textbook that you can get HIV through eye contact, which now we know is utterly false. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I didn't know that. I didn't know that people used to think that. Yeah. And really, it wasn't even the children that were afraid of Jackson when he started school. It was the parents. Right. But kids hear their parents talk, and eventually the stigma rubbed off on the children. Jackson said that he never got invited to birthday parties, and even his half-sister was met with the same discrimination for even being related to him. Yeah, that's crazy. But, like, even if the parents were like, no, don't hang out with him because he's gross or whatever... Like, the kids understand the word gross. Right. Or whatever else they would say, even if they didn't explain what the disease was. So, that stinks. And, obviously, parents are the ones who invite kids to birthday parties. Right. (laughs) So, that sucks. Yeah. He was actually called horrible things like AIDS boy and gay boy. And this made him feel very isolated from the world. Um, I can see why. Yeah. So, honestly, again, back to the parents thing, like... They obviously learned that from somewhere, right? Unfortunately, 
at the age of 10, he finally started to realize the magnitude of what happened to him at the hands of his own father. Jackson said, he didn't just try to kill me. He changed my life forever. He was responsible for the bullying. He was responsible for all the years in the hospital. He's the reason I have to be so conscious about my health and do what I do. At the age of 13, Jackson found the faith to forgive his father through studying the Bible. He said, though, forgiveness isn't easy. He didn't want to lower himself to the same level as his father. And now today, Jackson is a happy and healthy young adult. And his HIV status is undetectable. And he's using his story to be an inspiration to others by being a motivational speaker with his award-winning speech, Who Do You Dare to Become? He also runs the charity Hope is Vital, which promotes the understanding about HIV. As for his father, who I don't even like referring to that because that is nowhere near what a real father is, a Missouri jury found Stewart guilty of first-degree assault on December 6th, 1998, and on January 9th, 1999, Stewart was sentenced to life imprisonment at St. Charles County Circuit Court. The judge said that the maximum sentence was inadequate and told Stewart, and I quote, Injecting a child with the HIV virus really puts you in the same category as the worst war criminal. And when God finally calls you, you are going to burn in hell from here to eternity. Stewart recently became eligible for parole and was once again denied and given five more years. Um, and I do want to say you should check out Hope is Vital Clothing on Facebook and you can book Brian for Brian Jackson and you can book Brian Jackson for speaking engagements um, at www.brryanjackson.com. Nice. Okay, so your mom and aunt went to school with his mom. Yeah. Okay, so she was having to go through all this and they knew who she was, so they had heard of the story before. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Tina, I guess, I mean, there's, I looked, they're friends with his mom on Facebook, and I actually have quite a few mutual friends with him. He lives in St. Charles. Oh, okay. Um, but, yeah, Tina was, I was talking to Tina about the the Pam case, and she was like, oh, well, are you only doing murder? And I was like, I don't think so. I think we're just doing, like, true crime in general. And she's yeah. like, I have the perfect case, and it's tied to us. And I was like, <laughs> and she showed it to me, and I was actually really, like, shocked. Yeah, me too. Because um, that's absolutely insane. I, I guess that's, it's so messed up. Like, I can't even, I can't understand why somebody w- would do that. Like, I can't understand why somebody would be like, I don't want to have a kid, so I'm just going to murder it. Like, Literally. That's crazy. And, well, during the trial, Jackson said that his father tried to use PTSD as an excuse of why he did what he did. Um, but he said that his father didn't even serve, like, in combat, and that he was just on the Navy reserves. So, I don't think that's an excuse. I also read somewhere that the defense attorney, I guess, for his father tried to say that, like, his mom just made up the story, but where else would a literal child get AIDS from? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and it, it seemed like, at least from the story, that there was a clear turn of events like while he was in the hospital mm-hmm. so he had the asthma attack or whatever it was and then he was getting better he was getting discharged and then all of a sudden right after he his was father. super super sick yeah 
coincidentally. Yeah, right the day after that his father had, was there, and yeah. if his father worked with like infectious materials, and I mean I don't know how they know that he was taking it home, and if they have proof of that or not, but. If he was taking it home, it seems like that right. would be connected. So, like Dexter Morgan. I don't feel like his mom made up that story. Oh no, there's. I don't think there's a way. I mean, yeah, I just think it's crazy, and especially when he was making threats like, "Our son's not going to see past the age of five. Yeah, like what did he think he's just saying that because he wasn't going to see him past the age of five? Like, no, he clearly did not want a child. Right, which is why he told his coworkers he didn't have one. Yeah. That was kind of sucky, too. Yeah. I just think he should be in prison forever, which hopefully, I mean. You know what's crazy to me? Kind of related, kind of unrelated. It's crazy to me that people can be, like, so in love or, like, infatuated with a person and not realize, like, how crappy of a person they are. Like, they were in love and, like, had this child together and he's, like, literally the worst type of person. It just blows my mind. And then there are people who've, like, been married to somebody who killed somebody years ago and they never knew. Mm-hmm. Well. Like, that concept is just crazy to me. I don't I don't think we'll ever cover it. But if you know anything about, like, um, Ted Bundy, like, he had, a, like, a wife. And everybody thought yeah. he was, like, a normal. Very charming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like he's a psychopath. Yeah. But I think the people that are good at being psychopaths are the ones that people never expect because they just right. But I'm just saying, like, else. it's it's just so interesting to think like they're so good at covering themselves up that you wouldn't notice. Yeah, and especially I think it's one thing if somebody is a psychopath and can kill random people that they don't know, but like to try and kill your own child, yeah, is like a whole new level of I think worse than. I mean, obviously, killing anybody is bad, but I feel like that's just a whole another level of evil when it's your own flesh and blood, especially if it's over, like we saw in the uh, Pam Hub case, over greed and money. It's ridiculous. Yeah, just for child support. Right. Like, you could have just signed your rights away instead of affecting this kid for the rest of his life and trying to end his life. Yeah. But I'm glad he's, um, you know, taking such a horrible situation and turning it into a story yeah i'd never heard of him or his story so i'm glad that you brought it up i guess yeah and if you have facebook heather doesn't i don't if you have facebook (laughs) you can look him up on facebook visit his website and i am gonna look some more into his clothing line because i'm probably gonna buy a shirt nice because the proceeds 10 percent of the proceeds go to i think he chooses different things like every month i know it was like suicide awareness month and 10% 10% of the proceeds went to that. My dog is crappy. She is, but that's okay. We're going to wrap up the case anyway. Um, I'm really glad that we were able to learn a little bit more about Brian's case. I had never heard of him. Hopefully, this is new to some of you guys. And some of you are able to find some inspiration on his website and kind of spread his positive message that has come out of this terrible situation. But make sure that you are following us on Spotify or we're also on Google Podcasts and Stitcher and head over to our Instagram or TikToks. Give us a follow over there and we will be back together with another episode next Thursday. So we will see you then. And with that being said, we'll see you next week. Bye.